0: All right, welcome in to the second edition of our preseason conference basketball previews. This week, or this episode, we are previewing the SEC, the, you can't really say it just means more in this case because it's basketball. But it does though. SEC, SEC, SEC. We need to do an intervention when this guy gets to Phoenix because the the uh, the southern blood is fully back in his body. And it's fully boiling, too.
1: <laughs> I'm wearing a hat with a catfish on it. It's a trucker hat. Oh.
0: <laughs> the, this guy is just a completely different human being from when – March uh whatever 12th happened when when the the start of quarantine really really kicked in and since then the man is in love with this conference so we were like let's let's get this one out of the way let's let Peyton have his little SEC moment and we'll we'll get out of here um but in, in all jokes should be a pretty interesting conference this year uh we have the usual Kentucky losing everybody and bringing in a whole bunch a whole crop of freshmen we have Tennessee, LSU, Florida, they're kind of expected to be in that top tier of the conference. Up there uh, with, with tons of returning talent, a couple a, a couple of highly touted recruits as well. And then we've got the Alabamas, the Arkansas, Ole Miss, Auburn, Missouri, some people, Peyton, I think, um, is pretty high on South Carolina. And then we have uh, the bottom feeders of the conference, a and Mississippi State, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. So let's start with the top tier of the, I, I almost want to say Florida's not in the top tier. And I would say Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU are in a pretty top, in a, in a pretty clear top three, in my opinion. And you can almost make the case for an elite top two between Tennessee and Kentucky. What stands out to you guys among those four teams um, and, and, and of that tier makes you most excited to watch SEC basketball um, this winter?
1: Well, I think honestly, not from the basketball perspective, but the American gangster, Will Wade and LSU, just how good can this team be with everything swirling around the program? We've seen teams kind of dissolve for less. These guys have played with each other though for years, for the most part, most of the dudes that are coming back and, for a lot of these guys, it's a very important year. you got to up your draft stock. Most of the dudes on this roster had been there, decided to come back after entering the draft initially. So can LSU weather all of that? Because dictating based on their talent and their coaching, his track record will wade as a basketball coach, not man-making strong-ass offers. Um, this team should be as good as all the other teams in the SEC, including Kentucky and Tennessee, I think.
2: I like that. I mean, yeah, this is a really interesting group of four. LSU is going to be really good. But, again, the inevitable hammer that's going to come down on them and whatever it does is going to be looming over that program and could cost Will Wade his job at some point. So that is going to be interesting to see how they play with that. A team I'm really interested after last year especially because I think we were all somewhat thinking they were going to be pretty good and they felt pretty flat. Florida – This is a team that got two five-star recruits last year, Trey Mann, Scotty Lewis, didn't play that well. But then they find a guy like Keontae Johnson, who comes up towards the end of the year and becomes kind of their guy. He now comes back. They lose Kerry Blackshear. Major disappointment for being the best transfer in the country last year. He didn't really play all that well. So they lose him, but Keontae Johnson comes back, and they get Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis both back. I'm excited to see how they play hopefully they can fulfill that five-star potential. Because if they do, Florida's going to have a very interesting uh, big three right there with Keontae Johnson. If he, and I think for them to be a contender to win the SEC, he needs to continue what he did last year and then some. I think he needs to add a little bit more and kind of shoulder a little bit more load, especially – with, uh, with how talented Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU are. So I think Florida's definitely in it. They're going to be interesting. I'm not as high on Florida basketball as I am on Florida football. But um, I like – you know, I, I love me Gators. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see what the Gators got
0: this year. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's super interesting that um, even though in, in terms of my conference rankings, I have Florida at four, and most people, um, most of the previews I've read – have Florida as either the third or the fourth best team, depending on how much people liked LSU. Um, It's, you don't see a lot of conferences where the conference player of the year, pretty much resoundingly, the preseason favorite comes from the team that's projected to finish fourth in the league. That gives me skepticism as far as picking Keontae Johnson to win SEC player of the year. Um, I just, you don't see a lot of guys win the conference player of the year, unless they have absurd numbers. Winning it on a team that finishes fourth, and and I think that Mike White's a, a, a pretty a pretty good coach. They could win this conference, but and they could compete for the for they could be up there. You could you could tell me they finish anywhere one through four. You could tell me they finish five if if yeah. an Alabama has a really good year, or if I mean someone else makes an absurd leap into that group. Um, I don't foresee that happening, but. If Florida finishes four like I expect them to, I don't see them getting Keontae Johnson, the the player of the year, because that would mean to me someone, whether it's – and I'll get into who I have picked later down the road in this podcast, but that would mean someone for Tennessee, Kentucky, or LSU stepped up, especially um, in the Tennessee and Kentucky range where people are, are tabbing them as – very solid top 15 teams in the country.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. And I think it's a make or break year for Mike White and people know that. So they are kind of putting a little bit more expectation on this team because there's an added degree of pressure after how last year went, given the expectations. I think for Florida, it's not about Keontae Johnson. It's whether or not, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann can be what they were built to be a year ago, and that's going to determine how good Florida is because if those two dudes step up to the level that you thought they were going to be at last year, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, well, that's the best big three in the league, and it's probably not that close. It might be the best big three in the country based just purely on talent. If we're being real, it's two five-star top ten dudes and a guy who absolutely dominated – down the stretch of last year's season. That's an uh, elite group of wing players. So can that happen for Florida? That's going to be the big question all year long. But I'm with you, Gabe. I think there are four or five guys in the league that I would pick rather than Keontae Johnson to win this award. Because if Florida's going to be good enough to win it, it's not going to be because he's taking 20 shots a game and putting up huge numbers.
2: I agree with that 100%. I think, you know, Florida's success is going to come, obviously, with Keontae Johnson, but he's going to need that help because he was good last year and they weren't all that amazing. Go ahead, Peyton.
1: I, I, just, I want to throw out a, a, a name at a time here, and you guys tell me if you think there's a better chance that this guy wins the most valuable player of the year in the conference or Keontae Johnson does. Okay, sound good? Yep, sure. So, Trenton Watford,
0: yes or no?
1: Gabe, you're wearing an LSU shirt. Hmm. I,
0: I, uh, I don't know if I want to give away my – well, I'll, I'll just say it now because we're going to get to it later um, during our they would, they could, they should um, portion of the segment or portion of the podcast. I have, I have Trenton Watford winning conference player of the year. So, mm. so uh, let's go. Yes, I personally believe that Trenton Watford is more is higher on my tier ranking uh, than Keontae Johnson. Yes, I will say Trenton Watford. Griffin, I'm gonna go.
2: Ah, that that's tough. I mean, Gabe is like Gabe like has me like sold on it. I'm gonna say no. Um, I I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna Trenton Watford's really good. And I think LSU is going to be the better team at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I just think – I think, you know, that team has a lot more guys that can put up more numbers. And I think Keontae Johnson's numbers as compared to Watford are probably going to look a little bit better. And if they have relatively the same success, I feel like their chances would be about the same in that way anyways. So, I mean, I would just go with the guy that that's probably going to put up more digits. Yeah. And that would be Keontae Johnson. Okay. Uh, John
0: Fulkerson. Um. I would say equal. Equal chances. Equal chances. Man, I – In large part, I would say Fulkerson is equal because I think that Tennessee is going to be clearly better, but I don't know if John Fulkerson's is going to be the best player on his team.
1: Okay. Well, I would definitely agree with that, and we'll get to that later. And my woulda, coulda, shoulda. So,
0: I mean, yeah, I think
2: I'd take Keontae Johnson over Fulk- Fulkerson as well.
1: Okay, so you guys seem to be kind of favoring towards the Keontae Johnson side of things, which is interesting. Aside from Gabe, who is all in on Trenton Watford, mm-hmm. I, I just—it's hard um, with Kentucky because of the freshman. Because I yeah. could see, I could see Boston winning this award at Kentucky, but we just don't know how he's going to play at this level. So,
0: well, if yeah. he's if, if the the avenue to him being that is Kentucky being a top five team and BJ Boston being the best player, and if that's the case. Yeah. absolutely he will win the award so yeah that is that is let's let's talk a little bit though about because I I don't know if you guys agree but I personally see it as a a Tennessee and Kentucky uh, top two tier um, in large part just because of the speculation around LSU and what could happen at some point in the year Um, but which way are you guys leaning in terms of the experience of Tennessee or the the youth and the just depth of talent that Calipari brings in recruiting wise that it might take a little bit of time but by the end of the year who are you thinking um, stands for longer during the NCAA tournament between Barnes and Calipari and the Vols and the Wildcats?
2: Uh, this one, this is something I've been thinking because I've got Kentucky for Goodwood should. So I was doing some some digging on this squad, and man, this this I am very very enamored by this team. They are going to be very very good. Um, so is Tennessee, and that's nothing against them, but I think the the combination of the young talent that that uh, coach K, that coach Calipari has brought in. You have Askew, Boston, and Terrence Clark, and that those three right there. You have two combo guards with B.J. Boston and, and Askew, and then Terrence Clark is a two-guard forward, and they both bring incredible length and size to the defensive end. Boston, Boston, and Clark do, and Askew is just a is for himself as far as scoring. He's a he's a Trae Burke kind of kind of player, a guy that can just get buckets on just whenever he wants, really and truly. So that the combination of those three young guys right there, I think Clark brings so much as far as athleticism. Not the best shooter, he's still polishing that up, but a guy that can definitely get to his spot around the around the paint and definitely get to the rim when he wants and brings so much, so much mm-hmm. trouble for you defensively because his athleticism yeah. and his length, how quick he is, just an absolute freak athlete. They get a they get Olivier Saar, like that guy. I mean, Nick Richard losing Nick Richards hurts, but filling in with Olivier Saar is a huge get for Kentucky. And then, you know, they get Davion Mintz, another guy from Creighton last year, 10-game score. Just That's a guy that Kentucky needs. That, I'll talk about it a little bit more, but Kentucky always needs more shooting. And you get a guy like Mintz that's a 35% shooter. Could that be better? Yes. Is that something that they could use more of, though? Absolutely. So them getting a guy like that for their bench I think is huge. And we'll see, man. Cal- Calabari just – they always dominate with dribble drive. We'll see what they can do this year. If they can shoot a little bit better, I have to, uh, might have to keep your eye on them. Baby Toppin, too. OB-GYN yeah.
1: brother Jacob transferring in from Rhode Island. I'm never going to fail to get Obadiah's name mentioned on this show, and that's what I'm doing right here. But, no, like Terrence Clark has a little bit of R.J. Barrett to him, don't you yeah. think? Like that length, that creativity, a little bit of shooting. I honestly think more so than Boston, I think I might be leaning towards Clark as that guy on Kentucky that might be the guy in the player of the year.
2: Yeah, and he's projected to be out of him and Boston. Him and Boston both projected top ten first round guys. Mm-hmm. But Terrence Clark is the one getting the buzz for number one overall because just the way he's built. Yeah, I mean, you just look at him, and it's just this guy's insane, explosive. You know, he's got he's got high IQ. He's got all the intangibles you want, and then he's got everything else with the like the physicals as well. So. Mm-hmm definitely i mean but boston as well reminds me a lot of a guy like brandon ingram you know just someone does he need to put on weight absolutely but this man can score and he can do it with the best of them in the country even as a freshman he knows how to get to his spots he's a three-level scorer you know if, if he can improve a little bit on strength which isn't going to happen this year obviously he's just he's just a 19 year old kid coming in but you know he, he's gonna he's gonna figure it out and he'll still get buckets either way that man can score Yeah,
1: I'll say this. This is the first time Cal has had a team that's been so, like with the young guys, so wing-oriented between him and Clark. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they kind of figure out the timeshare of who's scoring when. It
0: it also is just, I mean, I guess in in recent years, I think the the thing that intrigues me the most between Tennessee and Kentucky, um, because Tennessee didn't, necessarily they they were not going to make the tournament last year uh barring a miracle run where they win the sec tournament um they had a lot of success with grant williams and with admiral schofield jordan bone those 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 playmakers once all of those guys matured and they're kind of at a spot where they have guys that have matured they also have multiple five-star guys they get Jaden Springer, they get Keon Johnson. Um, some people had that as a top five recruiting class in the country. And if those guys are ready to play right away, then you get a little bit of the youthful talent as well as the developed college experience. And I think that that's kind of the the perfect mix. And it's why I have Tennessee ahead of Kentucky in my preseason rankings um, of, of this conference. And it is interesting because I think Kentucky, if they do struggle early in a season that gets started at the end of November rather than the start of November, we could see that those struggles extend into early non or early conference play in January. Because you look at Tennessee, they return four of their top five scores. You look at LSU, they return a lot of their talent as well, with Javante Smart coming back, Darius Days coming back, Trendon Watford returns. Florida, I mean, Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis weren't necessarily the most exciting and, and what they were supposed to be as freshmen, but them coming back plus Johnson. And then you get Alabama, they returned four of their top six scores. Arkansas loses a ton of production, so that doesn't necessarily go along with my argument here, but a team like even a Missouri that, that returns seven scores from their top seven scores from last year, if these experienced teams figure it out, then Kentucky could actually – take some licks early on in conference play and have a a little more time struggling to find its footing, um, especially if these freshmen aren't ready to go right away.
1: Yeah, no, it's fascinating because Tennessee, when you actually get down to the nuts and bolts, isn't super experienced. I mean, you've got East Ponds. You've got Viscovi, who is a guy who transferred in and only has played one season prior to this. You've got Josiah Jordan-James, who is a second-year guy. And you've got Fulkerson, who's been there for a while. Him and Pons are kind of the elder statesmen. But it's not necessarily a super-veteran group. They're just more veteran than Kentucky is. So I feel like that's kind of where that comes from. You're, you're really going to lean on your front court, I think, early on for Tennessee. It's definitely even more so than I think Kentucky. Tennessee is going to be a story of, okay, how do they evolve throughout the course of the year? Because I guarantee you the team they look like, game one, is not going to be the team that they're going to be by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, they never are. That's, that's never yeah. what the Kentucky team is. I mean, I, I mocked last year um, in our preview show – calipari every year at the Champions Classic, his team usually either doesn't play near its peak or it just straight up loses. And he says, We're we're such a young team, we're gonna develop. And and it's true. It's funny because it's funny because he says it and, and he signs up for it every year. It's not like he's like, oh dang, I thought I was gonna have this, this elite senior come back to my team, and it never happens. He just always signs up for this. He signs up for transfers like a, like a Reed Travis, like a Nate Sestina and, and now a Olivier Saar. They better hope that Saar plays more like Travis than Sestina, but Hmm. this is what, this is what Calipari always does. He, he wants young teams because he would rather get guys drafted than go to final fours. And that is, probably infuriates some in in Big Blue Nation but it's also just it's gotten them a lot of top guys so I guess they can't really complain about it that much
2: yeah and I think we always see the thing with Kentucky they're so young and these are guys coming out of different high school programs and they just have to learn how to play together under the way you know Calipari wants them to play and that's why you always see them transform by the time you're in November but by the time you get into February. Kentucky's always that team. It's like, okay, they're starting to play real well. We need to see how they're going to do in the NCAA tournament. The scary part for me, though, with them this year, I think where they're starting with their talent in the back, with their talent with their guards and their wings, with, with Boston, Askew, and Terrence Clark, they're in a more dynamic position scoring wise than I think they've been in a while. Because with these guys, you, you know, Askew, like I said, Trey Burke kind of guy can just. Good passer, but also solid shooter, better shooter than any of the guards they had last year. And they had quickly, a bunch of great guards, not great shooters, great defenders, but they're going to lose a little bit defensively with their guards, With Askew, but he's, he's an athletic guy too, six foot three. It's not tiny, but he doesn't bring that. I don't think the intensity defensively like Emmanuel quickly or Ashton Hagen's did, but I think he adds more scoring. BJ Boston is a pure scorer. And I would say, I don't think they've had a guy like that in quite some time. So I'm excited. I think that's a dynamic that changes a little bit and I'm excited to see before they even, you know, change and get to what Calipari wants them to do. But when they do get there, how scary they're going to be. That's what's so intriguing to me about Kentucky and why I'm kind I'm, of, you'll, you'll find out here in a bit when we talk, when we talk about them, I'm, I'm quite high on them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they develop throughout the year also.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that when all is said and done, um, as far as NCAA tournament, I, we we didn't necessarily put a estimation on how many tournament teams we thought were going to come out of the Pac-12, but I think it's worth it's worth considering in this. I think that Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, and Florida to me are all safely, pretty awesome. safely in. Um, from there, I think that mm-hmm. I think that you can rule out Vandy, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Texas a and then from five through 10 between mm-hmm. Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Auburn, Missouri, and South Carolina, I'm curious, how many of those six do you think compete and, and make a case to get inside the bubble? And, and how many bids is this league going to end up getting?
1: Well, I I think that the country, and to be fair, I did a lot of research on Georgia last year because I called the Georgia ASU game, so I got really familiar with this roster, and I will say this, that although this team lost Anthony Edwards, I do see a world where they're kind of better for it because he took up so much of the volume of their shooting, ran so much of the offense, and did so so inefficiently, And people forget that he actually brought a pretty decent recruiting class with him. All those guys are back in bigger roles. So I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia's a little bit more competitive than people think, especially because Crean is another guy who kind of needs to win now after this whole Anthony Edwards experiment failed. I will say I'm very high on South Carolina. I think that they will make the tournament field. Um, And Arkansas, Alabama, I think will, um, just based on the fact that they're going to play a style, and we'll talk about this later later, That's really complimentary for this kind of environment because I don't know how much drilling it needs because they're just going to fly up the court and shoot pretty much. And it works for them. Arkansas is interesting because there's a lot of transfers and there's some pretty decent talent coming in, but we found out that some players are deciding to come back after this draft process after all and rejoin their college programs after we thought that was not an option as things kind of are muddled through in the NCAA level trying to figure out what's happening with COVID and who they're going to allow to be eligible and not, I do see a world where if somehow Isaiah Joe, who is our favorite player, and said he was going to the draft and said he was coming back and then said he was going, if him or even Mason Jones, who is a junior last year and I think would be my pick for national player of the year, if he were coming back to Arkansas this season, if either of those two dudes go back to Arky, we're having a little bit of a different discussion about them, but I actually have them contrary to popular belief, the third in that middle tier.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, so I just looked cause I was curious where he stood on it. Lenardi has seven sec teams in, he has Auburn as the first in the next four out. Um, Mm -hmm. He doesn't think that Missouri or South Carolina are getting in, but he does think he had Bama um, and Arkansas safely or just inside it. I think they were both in the last four in. um, And I think he also had Ole Miss in there. So that's an interesting set of teams. Um, I think – I definitely am intrigued by Arkansas just because I think that that could be a mess, but also – Mus has shown that he can kind of figure things out with different sets of, of guys. Um, and I'm intrigued because he has, he has three transfers who have all scored double figure in double figures averaging, um, at other programs at the division one level. So that's interesting, but he also has like a Connor Vanover from Cal, who's just a seven, three dude who can stretch the floor. Um, and maybe him playing on an actually good team will be something interesting for him. But I do, I do think I, I don't know what the combination of teams is going to be. If I was leaning towards anything, I would say Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss would be my three, um, as those three that get in at, to be those seven. But you can tell me any of those ten make the ter- make the tournament, and I'd be good. Yeah. Let's get to yeah. SEC superlatives. Um, doesn't matter who goes first, but this was a, a good thing we did for the Pac-12. We're going to keep doing them for each of the conferences. Pretty open forum. Uh, make up your own little awards and hand them out here. Okay,
2: um, I'll start with mine. We talked about Florida a little bit, and I'm going to hand out, I'm going to hand their team award this year. Biggest prankster. Um, basically just a team that should be good, but falls flat. Now, Florida was definitely this team last year, and I'm not giving it to them based off last year. I think they're setting us up again because we're using last year now, looking back, Trey Mann, Scotty Lewis weren't very good. And that's for five-star recruits, you know, that's not usually what you think, especially for top guys like that. But now I think we're using that as kind of an excuse to, oh, now they're going to be living up to that potential. And we're just setting ourselves up again. Keontae Johnson, great potential conference player of the year. But we were also talking the same thing with Kerry Blackshear, potential SEC conference player of the year as well. I just think we can't get super high on Florida, and I don't think we are. I think we have them in the right spot. Three, four, five, I think is a reasonable expectation for them. But, you know, again, if Trey Mann and Scottie Lewis fail this year, it's going to hurt them a lot more because now these guys are starters and going to have to produce at a higher level for this team to be in that 3-4-5 range if they don't. Florida could be – Florida could get chomped themselves. So, biggest prankster going out to Florida. I hope that's not the case because I really want the team to look really good. But I just – I don't want to set myself up again. I had Florida as a Final Four team last year. Not, not doing it again. Not doing it again this year. Not making the same mistake. Uh, we're going to biggest prankster for them.
1: I'm going to go with the most likely to overperform expectations – and I think you guys know where I'm going with this. South Carolina, Frank Barton has not had a team in the field since their Final Four run a couple of years ago. And you start to look at some of the parallels between that team and this one, and I think it's interesting. Sendarius Thornwell scored 21 points a game, former Clipper Griffin, um, on the team that went to the Final Four, beat Duke. You look at last year's South Carolina team, the guy makes made that jump, scoring about 13 right now, heading into his junior year is A.J. Lawson. You've got a multiplicity of different ways that you can score. Jermaine Cousnard, who's gotten hot at different points throughout his career and made a lot of big shots. Mike Kostar, who was actually on that 2016 team that made the run to the Final Four. He's another guy who scored double-digit points last year. Also collected about six rebounds per game. Keyshawn Bryant, who's shown off unique athleticism, and only in 21 minutes per game last year, averaged nine and four. He'll be expected to have a bigger role. And then you've got—I don't know—I don't. That's probably not a, that big of an impact, but. Seventh Woods is also, if you forgot, he existed (laughs) on the South Carolina team and eligible. (laughs) So one of the the best hoop mixtapes of all time, also available. But it's a group that all those guys are returning. Those top four dudes from last year are all back. And I think that aspect of continuity, when we talk about a Kentucky in this weird 2020 season where everything is kind of altered, when we talk about a Kentucky – That's all a bunch of new dudes playing with each other for the first time. When we talk about Tennessee, although there are some veterans, realistically three of their top seven or eight guys are going to be freshmen. When we talk about South Carolina, Frank Martin's been the coach for a long time. These guys have played with each other for a long time, and they have all showed that they can impact the game. I think that South Carolina might be the fifth best team in this conference.
0: I don't think that that'd be the most shocking thing. It, the, the reason I think that it can be so jumbled is just because there's so many different teams that have so many returning scores, so much production yeah. returning, sure. uh, which is incredible because we can see the same thing next year. If all these guys use the eligibility freeze to come back, I don't know mm-hmm. if that will necessarily happen the way that the uh, scholarship logjam will be, but I can see with, with South Carolina and I, I don't, it's not what I'm predicting, but I won't be shocked if it happens. My first superlative for the SEC is a copy and paste from the Pac-12. It's the FBI's most wanted, and it goes to Will Wade. It goes to Will yeah. Wade. Um, he just continues to defy our expectations. Um, I mean, he was held out of coaching an NCAA tournament game. He's still the head coach. Um, he. It seems like his – he, might, he must have made a, a strong-ass offer to the, to the LSU athletic department to, to keep his job. Um, <laughs> he's still standing up against the feds, and he's, he's swinging for his life um, trying to hold on to that job. But if there are uh, – I said Western saloons had, had Sean Miller's face up there, but in every gas station, every Chick-fil-A in the southeast, there's a sign – fbi's most wanted and it's will wade's face
2: (laughs) the american gangster american gangster will wade john i'll say it almost every week john rofstein i love you um okay my second my second um superlative gonna go out most likely to become a superhero basically i'm just saying i think a guy that's going to dominate this year and probably be a very good player at the next level You already know where we're going. It's the NBA factory in Kentucky, and I've got a couple options here, but I'm going with B.J. Boston. I think this kid has got just oozing potential. Sierra Canyon, shout-out Southern California. Um, Sierra Canyon has body bagged my former high school in hoops before, so I have seen firsthand what that program produces. Uh, And B.J. Boston, I think, is the next guy out of there. Reminds me so much of Brandon Ingram. I already said that earlier. The guy that just can score in any way he wants. Long. He's long, he's, he's actually a very good passer for considering he's a score first kind of guy. Good passer, he's got good vision. He's got the length to be good, very good on defense when he wants to put in that effort. Kind of, he's got everything you want, man. I think this kid is going to be something special. NBA comp, like I said, Brandon Ingram, and we see what he is now. For the New Orleans Pelicans, definitely a all-star level player. And I think I can see the same thing out of BJ Boston. I'm very excited to see what he can do at Kentucky. I think he and Terrence Clark, Make them very dangerous. So most likely become a superhero. B.J. Boston. I hope you know he's out there flying around this season and uh, saving Kentucky in some games.
1: All right, moving on. Most likely to turn an Armani suit into a towel. Bruce Pearl. Come on, this guy went from such a veteran latent team a year ago with Wiley and all the guys that have been on their Final Four run the year before. And everybody's gone, and he's just turning the keys over to the freshman, Sharif Cooper. Now, I will say that Bruce Pearl has sung the praises of Sharif, saying he's well beyond his years maturity-wise. He kind of does the right things. He's a good leader. But this team is going to be predicated on this guy, this five-star recruit. And it's just, I think, emblematic with something that's kind of bigger in the league as a whole. You've either got teams like South Carolina who are super veteran-laden, or... You've got teams that are bringing in a bunch of McDonald's All-American freshmen and trying to put it together. And it's this across the league, in the middle of it, this kind of equalizing factor where – everybody's kind of got something going for them aside from maybe the bottom two or three teams that you could kind of bet on. For Auburn, it's Sharif Cooper, and that's going to be a wild ride for the Tigers all year long. Aubie is going to be biting his claws, and we know how Bruce Pearl sweats when he doesn't have control of a situation. So, yeah, Bruce Pearl most likely to turn a suit into a towel.
0: I, I love that. Um, a good one. I, I think that that's going to be – it'll be a struggle on the planes this year. Um, I think that – I actually – you kind of convinced me into thinking that Auburn is, like, the least likely of those top ten to, to really do do something um, in the conference and, and make the NCAA tournament. My second award, Peyton – kind of wrung my neck out for this one last night when i suggested it but i'm still going through with it it's the luke may award for being the second best player on the (laughs) team but actually getting credit for being the first and it goes to john fulkerson of tennessee um i think a lot of people i mean Peyton, Peyton is a john fulkerson uh basically the the cult leader of that fan club Um, hold on hold on no, <laughs> I, I actually happen to be firmly in the same position as you are,
1: but I, I hazard to guess that the guy that I'm thinking of at Tennessee might be different than yours. So I'm going to let you continue, but okay. don't slander me like that. Okay. Just
0: staunch- I just remember watching Tennessee play Kansas last year, and you were having a full-on love-a-fest. The love-a-fest. Because he
1: shouldn't be able to do that. Look at him.
0: <laughs> And, and that's why it, it's similar to Luke May. I mean, the numbers aren't, aren't quite the same. Fulkerson last year averaged 13.7 points per game. Uh, Luke May, his senior year, had 15 points per game, 10 rebounds per game. Um, Luke May had, had Kobe White. John Fulkerson, in my opinion, is going to be getting most of the credit, but Jaden Springer is the guy who's going to really make things go there. I think that his his guard play um, is going to really push Tennessee to the level that they weren't able to reach last year. In large part because they didn't have a guy like him, and and Fulkerson yeah. is is gonna get a lot of credit for something that he's gonna. It's it's gonna be a fifty fifty deal, but everyone's gonna get enamored by that headband and the long hair, um, and and just the way he, he plays so hard. It's the, the old college basketball yeah. thing. The those things, those cliches of he just wants it more. Like he, he just fights for the rebounds. He 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 gets steals and blocks, all these things. They're, they're not wrong, but Jaden Springer's better or is going to be better in my opinion. And and so the Luke May Award goes to John Fulkerson.
1: College basketball's Trevor Lawrence <laughs> John Fulkerson. The only reason I get so excited about Fulkerson is because he was so bad when Grant Williams, like unplayably, I know Tennessee fans honestly got more upset whenever he took the court than when they see Jared Guarantano take the field. Like this guy was not good, a part of some good teams. And then last year, I don't know where it came from, but he balled against Kansas, pretty much single-handedly beat Kentucky, I don't know. It's just enamoring to me to watch the meteoric rise of John Fulkerson. So anyway, Griffin, what's that next?
2: Okay. So I've got, let me pull it up right here. Most likely to direct an Oscar winning film. So, I mean, basically my intention behind this one is what team is going to be like the best movie this year our potential to be because obviously things can change and I'm going to give it to Arkansas. And I think this team kind of screens. Yeah. Eric, I see Eric Muslin um, is the guy that's going to be kind of directing this whole thing. So, you know, he's the next uh, like Steven Spielberg, I guess you can call it. Um, So I've got Arkansas. I had like Cinderella's kind of on this team. They're not going to be, at least I don't hope they're going to be a top four seed or anything. They're not going to be a huge favorite. I see this team being maybe like a seven or an eight seed. Being a very sneaky one at that, and if this team get, this this team reminds me a lot of Arizona in a way in the Pac-12 based off the transfers alone. I think Arkansas is probably a better team as far as what they can bring to the table, but a bunch of a team that's going to rely a lot on transfers. And I think you know talking about the movie thing, you're going to bring in all these different characters from all these different places that haven't played together, and we're going to see how they're going to mesh, and we're going to see how they're going to grow. If these guys come in, they're all they're all double digit game scores. They've got they've got some dudes in here that can score. So they all come together and they can all really mesh well. I think this team can really make some noise in March, potentially make a Cinderella one to the Sweet Sixteen, maybe Elite Eight, and you know, be that bracket buster kind of team. And I think that'd be, you know, one hell of a movie. I think that would be an Oscar seeing those Razorbacks come out of the, you know, seven or eight seed with a bunch of transfers and get get, get some dubs in March. So mm. Got Arkansas potentially being an Oscar-winning film.
1: Okay. I've got, next up, best hair. That is the Alabama slingshotting forward guard guy, John Petty, who looks honestly like he is an extra in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, this guy, you get drawn in by his hair, and it's like, okay, that has to be – an impediment it, it looks so like concrete strong it, it looks so thick and, and movable and awkward but he's just out here slinging from three and helps alabama do what they do which is run the floor and shoot a ton of threes it's kind of like the rockets of college basketball now it gives me an excuse not to talk about john petty's hair but john petty as a player can he take that jump because for him average 14 and a half points per game last year the home road shooting splits are as astronomical as there are in college college basketball. They were a little bit better last year, but when you're looking at his box score, it's like, okay, shooting like 50% from three at home and 25% on the road, what's going on. But when he gets hot, he can get hot. And if he can take a jump, he averaged 14 and a half, 6.6, 2.5 assists, another steal in the bank as well. He could be a dark horse player of the year candidate in this league with the offense kind of resting on his shoulders now that Kira Lewis is gone. So we'll talk about Alabama later, also in my woulda, shoulda, but I I thought I should throw some clown at John Petty.
0: That's funny because I was – that gets to my next award, um, talking about Alabama basketball, and and that gets into most intriguing backcourt, and I'm going to give that to Alabama because of – John Petty, because of Jaden yeah. Shackleford and because they add uh, former five-star recruit Javon Quinterly to a group that has what I would say is the best perimeter defender in the conference of Herb Jones. Um, and I think, that, I think that there's a comparison. I don't know if Petty is – or I, I know that Petty is probably not at the same level of, of national recognition as Remy Martin um, at ASU and how he was – named first team All-American today by the AP in the preseason. But I think that Alabama could have the same impact in the SEC as ASU does in the Pac-12 in terms of just dominating a game with suffocating guards who push the pace at all times and all do kind of different things and and all star in different ways. Um, And I can't wait to watch it. They They are one of the most intriguing teams in this conference to me. Um, and they were just outside of that top four tier. I think that they are the fifth best team in this conference, but they might be one of the two or three most, most fun to watch and most intriguing, and it's because of their backcourt. So most intriguing backcourt goes to Alabama.
1: Yeah, I like that. The question with Alabama um, is going to be pretty much all year. Can they stop anybody? Because we know they're gonna get about eighty a game, seventy five a game. Can they keep teams from scoring the same amount if not more? And I think you make a good point with Herb Jones. Can Quinterly give them a little bit of extra defense and fill the shoes left by Keir Lewis, who was a guy who averaged nineteen and five last year, and it's gonna be a lottery pick. Alabama would be pretty good if those two things happen.
2: I mean, I don't have I don't have a, another um, so to give out. So if you guys got more, you guys go ahead. Right. I have three.
1: Okay. Gabe's always overachieving. Yeah, I only did those.
0: Yeah. You know, okay. So I'll just quickly do the last two. Um, the the, 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 the last one will transition me into my they would, they could, they should of LSU. But my fourth, uh, superlative goes to most likely to star in a horror film. I think this is a team that could scare people in March. Um, not a team that you would want to play at the SEC tournament if you are in need. If this is a team that I could see playing somebody in a game that that they must win to stay on the right side of the bubble, Lenardi's saying you got you got to get past this team, um, and it's Ole Miss. I think Devontae Shuler could really scare some people. The surrounding pieces: Romello White, Matthew Morel. I think that those guys could could really do some things in March and, and if Schuler is able to make shots in the way that I anticipate him being able to, he can kind of carry the rebels to a couple wins in the postseason. They can get hot at the SEC tournament and not be a team that you want to play. That's my fourth one. My last superlative goes to best player in a supporting role. This is not necessarily the best second. This is not necessarily the best second best player on any team. Um, because I think you can make a case for Fulkerson. I think you can make a case probably for Terrence Clark or or someone else on the Kentucky roster, depending on who steps up, but it's going to go to Javante smart because I think if LSU is going to be their best, they'll need Trenton Watford to be the best second guy on a, on this, in this conference. And, And he will have to step up if, or when, Trenton Watford has some foul trouble or when he doesn't necessarily produce to the level at which I think he's going to um, this year. So Trenton or Javante smart is my best player in a supporting role um, to be the second complimentary second star who steps up when needed. That transitions me into they would, they could, they should, and LSU. So LSU, my first statement um, for everyone at home, as a refresher, we're doing these. Each team, we each get two of these teams from the conference, a statement of what they would um, want, what they could have, or, or what they should do, uh, basically. LSU would be an easy top 20 team if there wasn't such uncertainty around Will Wade situation with the program. I think that there's a real case to be made that, they are basically in the same situation as Tennessee is um, adding some young guys and, and some, some contributors. some high, high highly, rated recruits. Um, they, they also get a couple really good transfers in, in Sharif O'Neal from UCLA, Josh LeBlanc from Georgetown, and they return a bunch of, a, a bunch of very good players in, in smart days and Watford. So I think that, this is a team that should easily be ranked in the top 25 easily ranked in the top 20. And if, if we could trust that Will Wade, wasn't gonna um, have the FBI coming for him um, or the NCAA drop in the hammer, it'd be a little different situation. My second statement, LSU could, um, and this dates back to when Peyton you were asking us about who we thought could win the conference player of the year um, in, in comparison to Keontae Johnson. And, I think LSU could have the dark horse mm-hmm. contender to an SEC Player of the Year. Some people would say Javante Smart, but like I just said, I think he's going to be the best second player, the best supporting um, supporting actor, best supporting best player in a supporting role. Whatever, however you want to term it, I think Smart's going to be a good number two because Trenton Watford is my guy, and I think that him coming back, he was one of the guys that I talked about. Um, when we did our draft of guys we wanted to see come back to school. Now that he's back, I want to see him take full advantage of the opportunity and play his way into being a first-round pick as a sophomore, kind of in the same, I don't know if he'll go necessarily as high um, as Bridges, Miles Bridges at Michigan State did, but he could have that kind of impact in his second year at LSU. And then LSU should continue to fight the NCAA, and I wrote C, Oklahoma State, <laughs> If you can com- if you comply with the NCAA, it never works out. So keep fighting. Keep fighting. I don't know if I am not gonna say I'm not gonna say keep fighting the good fight, because I don't know if it's a good fight, but keep fighting uh, and, and and go tigers. <laughs> go tigers. Keep fighting the good fight. Oh my gosh. Put it on a shirt. I did not say that, Griff. I said I don't I'm, know I'm if it's saying- a good fight. I don't know if it's the good fight, but I do know that you got to fight Javante Smart. He's been worth a strong-ass offer. I would agree.
1: (laughs) Well, we're going to take it to somebody who is always fighting the good fight. That's Deacon, Rick Bull, and Tennessee, and I'm going to do that here in a second. I do want to pose one big question, though. Sharif O'Neal might be the biggest question in the entirety of this league. Because if Sharif O'Neal is closer to what he was prior to the complications he faced, having to go through heart surgery, trying to work his way back onto the court at originally being in Arizona, then UCLA, and never really getting playing time last year, he finally looks kind of like he's full strength. And if they had that guy, that guy was a top 20 recruit and was absolutely dominant on the AAU circuit and in high school. So, That could be huge for LSU and kind of change the entirety of the SEC race. Let's talk about one of their direct contenders for that top spot, Tennessee. We're going to go and start with their wood. They would be a real national title contender. If Rick Barnes can find a way to format an offense that doesn't just throw the ball into the post over and over again, we're going to talk a lot about this front court because it's going to be very good. And Yes, similarly to that team from a couple of years ago, this Tennessee team has a great front court. Like Grant Williams, like Admiral Schofield, the big dudes. And Admiral might have been a little bit on the smaller size, but Tennessee played that, that small ball style where he was pretty much a 3-4 at most of the time. Tennessee, I, I don't think, is going to be at the best like that. Whether it's Viscovi, who showed up from Spain and shot the heck out of the ball, all year long, but more so growing into the season, it's Triple J, Josiah Jordan James, Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer. How can they get those guys integrated? How can they spread teams out so dudes like Fulkerson and like Eve Ponds can really work and eat on the inside? That is going to be the biggest question for this team because they could have a very Very potent offense, and I trust they're going to be good on the defensive end of the floor because of the two guys that they have guarding the rim, which includes the guy that is my could. East Ponds. If you don't know the name, get familiar, because this is a dude that was buried the first two years of his career, but Tennessee fans were so excited about because of the athletic ability. He had to sit behind Grant Williams. There was no real way to play him because he didn't bring much shooting. So that's kind of what he worked on. This is a dude who blocked 7.7% of opponent shots when he was on the floor. He is the best shot blocker in college basketball. I say that with confidence. Sorry, Way. Sorry, all the other guys across the country. I think it's this dude. He's huge, massively muscular, and has bounced out of the building and on top of that, he's refined his offense game. So he can blow by you, not really off the dribble, but athletically. If he gets the ball on a cut, he's throwing it down. And he shoots 35% for three over the last year. Adding that to his game, a dude who jumped into double digits last year for the first time in his career after averaging about three points a game his first two seasons on Rocky Top. I think Eves Pons could be the guy nationally, that takes the Doak jump. And I think he could be even better than Doak was because not only is he going to be dominant athletically on the defensive end, he's going to be an elite rim runner for these guards to have this dude who is just a brick wall setting screens and then a guy who can touch the top of the backboard. backboard, Words are hard. um, Touch the top of the backboard on lobs and then also can pick and pop for three I think this is a dude who can – maybe I've said this about everybody in the conference so far, it feels like, but win SEC Player of the Year. I think he's going to be Tennessee's best player this year, personally. Came back, was in the draft, decided to come back to school. I think he makes a massive leap this season. And if that happens, we have a different conversation about Tennessee because they're far and away the best team in the SEC. And what Tennessee should do is they should have the best and most productive two-way front court in the country. Because of what John Fulkerson brings offensively as a rebounder, I already told you everything you need to know about East Ponds. Fulkerson averaged 14-6 and six last year and shot 61% for the floor. That should tell you about the offensive ability. Now that the floor is going to be even more spread with all the shooting and play creating that they have, it's going to be a really tough cover for teams to try and go toe-to-toe against this veteran front court for the balls. That's the what it should have could on Tennessee guys' thoughts.
0: You I lost mean, yeah. me. You lost me at he's at Eve's ponds is going to be better than Doke because I don't think eh, it's so hard to be that historically efficient uh, shooting the ball from so close, and then also just like the advanced analytics of not just I understand that Ponds blocks a lot of shots, but how many shots uh, Doke just negated? As in shots that could not be taken and forcing teams to take threes or long twos instead. Um, I guess I'll just always defend my guy, but yeah, but I also understand that in my, my Luke May award for Fulkerson, it could be uh, Springer. It could also be pods. So I agree with you there.
1: Yeah. I think he might be the most athletically gifted player. And this is high praise considering the guys that are in this league, the league, maybe in the nation. I, I really only kind of put Cade Cunningham ahead of him in terms of just natural gifts and ability.
2: Yeah, I think Pond's a real difference maker and he's kind of the he's kind of the piece that counters exactly what Kentucky wants to do. And obviously look at that as Tennessee's biggest competition. Kentucky's a team that loves to penetrate and get to the rim and kick out and create their offense like that, just basically abusing with their athleticism. Because Kentucky is usually way more athletic than every team because they always get the fresh best athletes from high school. But they against a team like Tennessee and a guy like Pons down low, like they're not going to be able just to out athlete them. They're not going to. And that's that. I think that presents a real tough matchup for them. So I think you bring up Pons is a real, is a real good point there. And I think you you nailed it with that because I think he could be a very substantial difference maker. Mm. Um, but I'll get into my my first team for could, would, should, and yeah, we're going Kentucky Wildcats. You we know we're going to talk about them, so we're going to start with the could. Kentucky could be a Final Four team if they shoot the three ball better this year. Only three teams in the country last season had a lower three-point attempted rate than Kentucky did. Kentucky already dominates with dribble drive like we just talked about.
0: They out-athlete
2: people because they just get all the best guys. But – if this team could be lethal from downtown, they are going to compete for a national championship. Um, Let's take a trip back. 2011, 2012, Kentucky, I'm sorry, Gabe, beats Kansas in the national championship, Anthony Davis. That team in SEC play shot 41.3% from three, the second best in the conference, and 37 points across all their games. That was best for 37 in the country. So if if they can do something along those lines, I think it's doable. Like I talked about a guy like BJ Boston, very, very dynamic score. You know, three levels shoot. Well, Davion Mance is a guy that can shoot a little bit. He needs to improve it. a 35% shooter, but there is potential there for him to be a good shooter for them off the bench. And they've got a guy like Devin Askew. who I've talked about a lot. I think he's a very, very slept on recruit. Four stars, probably going to be their starting point guard. He can shoot it. I think Kentucky's got more shooting potential than they have in a while. And if they can shoot around those same numbers, look what they did last time they did it, and now they're going to be a team with I think it's at kind of talent level with Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston, that youth talent. If they can shoot it, they're going to be able to get to the rim, and they're going to be able to they're going to be able to penetrate and space out. And at that point, you just pick your poison with them because they're hitting threes; they're going to be almost unguardable. So that is going to be a mm-hmm. very interesting thing to watch. So that would be that's my coup. We're going to go into the wood. Kentucky, I think the wood section for this is kind of short because the wood, they would be this if they could shoot. I think I kind of covered that uh, multiple bases in the could. But Kentucky would be one of the best. I mean, if they could just re- – they would be the best team in the country if they just returned one of these three guys, I think. Ashton Hagen's Emmanuel Quickly or Tyrese Max. Yeah. Like I said, these guys all brought way more defensively at the guard position than I think Boston the Boston can or ask you because these guys were just basically fly around, guard your name ball handler, and kind of just take them out of the game at that point. That's what made Kentucky so dangerous last year was just how crazy good their guards were defensively and how much they hounded you. They don't have any of that this year. I don't think Kentucky's gonna be a bad defensive team uh, on the perimeter on the guard spot, but they're they're definitely taking a step back. And I hate – obviously, it's so easy with Kentucky out of all schools. Oh, if they just had one guy returning here, one guy returning there. But I really think this year they're going to miss that defensive presence that those guards brought. So, if they could just bring – if they would – they would be if they could bring uh, one of those three guys back. Or should they can't? They're going to the NBA. So, we'll see. They haven't been drafted yet because we don't have an NBA draft right now until, I think, next week. Next week. (laughs) here we go. I mean, so we'll see. We'll see whether they're going to miss them this year. And so for my should – Kentucky should be, at the very least, a team that makes it to the Elite Eight. I have high expectations for this team. I think it's it's a little bit bold to say Elite Eight, but I don't think it's too much to ask for a team that has three really good freshmen, especially offensively, and they get a guy like Olivier Sarr, who's going to be a very good fill-in for Nick Richards down low. is going to have a very dynamic team this year, and I, I, I expect that I expect a lot out of this team, and I'm really excited for them. So Kentucky – should be an Elite Eight team. If they're not, I would honestly say that's a disappointing season for them because of how much talent they have and what the potential they could do.
1: Yeah. This might be the most talented group Kentucky has had since their final four run with the perfect season and call Anthony
2: Town stretch. I don't think so. I mean, I think, like we talked about Peyton, Terrence Clark is potentially the number one pick in the draft. B.J. Boston's a guy that I like a lot, especially for the future. I think a potential future all-star, definitely a top-ten pick. And, and then, like I mentioned before, with Devin Askew, I think he's a guy that slept on a lot of four-star career. I think he's a lot like Marcus Bagley for ASU. Two different positions, of course, but Marcus Bagley is a guy that can score. He can shoot. He's only a four-star recruit, so I think people kind of sleep on him a little bit. He doesn't have the five stars, you know, top two, top three in his position. They don't have that, but these are guys that can ball and they can definitely make an impact on a team as their as their third or fourth guy, option wise on offense.
0: Mm-hmm. I think uh, the elite eight statement is true in just the sense that at Kentucky, Duke, and Kansas, if you don't make the elite eight, it something. It was basically an abject failure that that season. Mm-hmm. So that that's just that's just a fact out of no matter what. Yeah. So I completely agree. Um, and, and I mean, you can say, you can say it might be one of the most talented teams in so long. Like it it just, it's, you can say that with every freshman class basically that Calipari, because he's going to hype them all up and we truly just have to see, to see if any of them fade or if any of them become more than what we would expect. Um, that's kind of how things always go, and and we've always had quick judgments on guys like De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, different stuff. Sometimes they develop, sometimes they don't, and and we'll see. Um, my second team is one I'm not necessarily as high on. Griffin, I think you said biggest prankster. They could be, uh, they could certainly be that again this year. So, L- or Florida, they would be happy to be a top four seed at the SEC tournament. I think that last year because they struggled with guard play uh they weren't consistent uh in in terms of getting production from scotty lewis um and trey Mann. and we don't know what the guard play will necessarily look like completely this year um with andrew nemhard transferring so that is a lot of production that is unaccounted for and kind of questionable so we'll see where where they end up um If they're a top-four seed, that means that they beat out the Alabama, uh, the South Carolinas, the Arkansas, all those middle teams in the conference who could have really good years. I think Ole Miss is going to have a decent one. Mizzou might might be a fighter. If Florida's a top-four seed, it means they fought off all those and they're right up there with LSU and Kentucky and Tennessee, which is a good sign, and and I think that's why they would be happy for that. Florida could, on the other hand – their floor is fighting for an NCAA tournament berth. Their floor is being a team um, much like last year where Lenardi is giving updates after every conference game they play in late, in late February. Um, And if Keontae Johnson's not capable of carrying them uh, and, and like I said, the guard play doesn't necessarily show up. We've seen Florida find their way to be a bubble team and be a nine, 10 or 11 seed. It's not out of the realm of possibility. We could see it. We could absolutely see it again. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. Then my third statement, Florida should – they should get better defensively. Last year they were 61st first first in the country in defensive efficiency. And just by the fact that Mann comes back, Lewis comes back, and Johnson's there, if you have three returning starters or three returning contributors that are, are high-level contributors, um, there should be at least some – consistency on the defensive end and there should be a little connectivity and they should be able to communicate well uh, and that usually cures if you have effort um, and you can't necessarily communicate then the communication should be on better point at this point and and they have the physical tools to defend well it's just about buying in and communicating and having some sense of urgency they have more experience they don't have any excuses so i think that their defensive uh, intensity and and defensive metrics should improve this year.
1: If they're not a tournament team, is Mike White gone?
0: The seat would get super hot. I would say that.
1: Mm. Okay. season last. I'm going to move to a – I don't know if they're less interesting than Florida. I don't know. I'll let you guys be the judge of how interesting the Alabama Crimson Tide are because – They are my next team. I'll start with the Wood. Alabama Wood with a season from Javon Quinterly in which he is the team's best player, which is the kind of guy he was marked up to be before he went to Villanova. He was supposed to be the next Villanova guard, didn't really play his freshman year, decided that. Philadelphia wasn't going to be his home. He decided to move to Tuscaloosa instead to continue his college basketball career. And mind you, did so knowing he was going to have to sit out a year. So that means something. That means he was committed to this decision with a full year to just kind of see dudes and be in the program and be in the weight room and just work. I think that we could see a guy who kind of takes the SEC by storm. I I, I really do. And if he were to do that, I think that with the way Alabama plays, the speed they play at, because we know what he can bring defensively, we know what we can bring or expect him to bring as a creator and a driver, I think we could be looking at Alabama elevating into this top tier of legit SEC title contenders. I can see that um, just because of how they play. They could, Alabama – be the fastest and most entertaining team in the country. Alabama was the fourth fastest team in the nation last year and the fastest in the power leagues. They averaged guys 79 possessions a game. They're just getting shots up. Playing this fast in freestyle, I think they could really benefit from the simple nature that it's not as hard to install offense when you play this way. It's really figuring out, okay, how can we get our best guys out in transition quickly and run the break? That's what Alabama does. They've got all the shooting, Herb Jones and everything, coming back to try and help them lock dudes up defensively. A lot of established players. So integrating this system, I talked about continuity, is not going to be hard for them, especially since their big newcomer, Quinterly, has been with the program for a year already. So I really do think that we're going to witness a team play at warp speed, lightning quick in Tuscaloosa. And that's going to be something that's very difficult for the league to play night in, night out, since they played in it for a year under Nate Oates. And and for Nate Oates, this is a big year because they were fun last year. They beat Auburn. They beat a couple teams. But this year – they need to be genuinely competitive. They were just above 500 last year, not really on the tournament bubble or radar, just below 500 in league. And with John Petty coming back, Scrappy is not going to be good enough for Alabama. A couple of upsets and sub 500 usually isn't a very good indicator of where your program is in year two of a new coach. So they need to take the leap. They should take the leap this year and be an easy tournament team. How good they are, that is the variable that I think we're trying to determine.
2: Yeah, I think Alabama is a very intriguing team this year as well. Um, definitely a team that I think could slide up into that four spot, five spot for sure, it's like, especially if a team like Florida is that big prankster that I labeled them as. So we're going to go – let's talk about some hogs, boys. And I'm going to talk about the Razorbacks of Arkansas – Going to start with the could Arkansas could be a dangerous seven to eight seed in the NCAA tournament if our guy Isaiah Joe or Mason Jones was on this team. I'm talking lethal seven eight seed. Probably probably higher than that. Honestly, I probably maybe a five or six seed if they had those two guys for sure. Um, but Mark J. Spears reporting that 23 early candidates have withdrawn the draft. So I mean, who knows? Who knows what to make up. We're expecting no Isaiah Joe for that team, which unfortunate same thing with Mason Jones unfortunately they can't get their two best players back but I still think the Hogs are going to be really dangerous because this is a team full of bucket getters I mean you just look across the board at this team and they've got guys that can just score man and I think you know the way they play they're just going to have a bunch of guys that can put the ball in the rim Jalen Tate transferred in redshirt senior 14 a game then Justin Smith coming in from Indiana he averaged 10 a game Vance Jackson from New Mexico redshirt senior as well 11 a game JD, I think I hope I pronounced this right, Nate coming from Jacksonville, 15 and a half again, like Gabe said, Connor Vanover, 7-3, redshirt sophomore, big that can stretch the floor. We'll see what he can do in Arkansas's program. But these are all guys that can just sort basketball. So we're gonna Arkansas's gonna be a team that a lot of it's gonna cause troubles on defense because they're gonna have they're gonna be so spread out. And you're, you can't really key in on one guy because everyone on their team is gonna be able to get buckets. So I definitely have them as they could be dangerous. And I compare them a lot to Arizona because they're going to have a lot to rely on a lot of transfers to be what they want to be. And that could either elevate the past expectations or sink them below expectations. And I think that's really on those transfers that we're talking about here. Arkansas would be a lot better um, if Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones were on this team because I think I said, I mean, you just have to bring it. I can't not talk about it here because – you just you can't Isaiah Joe I had is a potential second team all american and like you said I think Mason Jones a guy who was almost a lock for first team all american potentially national player of the year that man can score and I think Isaiah Joe if he if, if he improved on his efficiency numbers a little bit, definitely could have made some 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 murmurs for second team all american and Arkansas would have had probably the best scoring duo in the country with those two coming back so that, that's unfortunate we're not they get to see that. But what we're going to do into the should and what I actually really expect to see out of Arkansas this year, Eric Musselman's group. Arkansas should be a middle-of-the-pack team in the SEC that will be very fun to watch because, like we said, a bunch of transfers, a bunch of dudes that can score. They're going to be a team that is going to go in and upset a team like Florida, like LSU, I think, at some point. And they're going to make the top dogs, I think, in Tennessee and Kentucky sweat if they're hot. And they're going to be that kind of team that's just going to go in and battle with the top dogs and probably just feed off the middle teams to bottom teams in the conference. Are they going to be susceptible to losses here and there? Absolutely. Um, every, team, every team gets cold on some nights. Basketball, we know that. But I think Arkansas is going to be a team that no one's going to want to play, especially if it's for a meaningful game, to determine whether you're going to get in to the big dance. So I, I'm really, I really like the Hogs this year. I think they're going to be fun to watch. The SEC as a whole, man, this conference is going to be really fun to watch for basketball. I know it always they always talk about football with the SEC, but, man, this is a really, really, really intriguing basketball conference the last few years, especially this year. So I think people need to start tuning in. This this is a very much a basketball conference as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's a league in the country that is better 1 through 10 than the SEC is this year. The Big Ten. I don't think so. I disagree with that. There's infinitely more talent in this league. There's better coaching in this league, I think. Man, that's iffy, but you've got guys like Bruce Pearl who, and, and Frank Martin who have made final fours and they're in the bottom half of the league. So I don't know how you can argue it against that. Um, you've got Cal Perry. You've got Mike White, who's been to the, the third weekend of the NCAA tournament. You've got, or at least the second weekend, he went to the Elite Eight. No, they, they went to a final four, didn't they, with Mike White? No. They lost to South Carolina in the Elite Eight, correct? Yeah. So, and then you've got obviously guys like the Deacon. And I don't know. I, I think this league just perpetually gets overlooked. When you're talking about Kermit Davis as one of the three worst coaches, accomplishment wise, in the SEC, that says a lot. Even Conzo Martin's made deep NCAA tournament runs. Has he? They went to the Sweet 16 and were a play away from the Elite Eight. When? The year they lost to Michigan.
0: I guess I guess that's so long ago. He hasn't Kwan, – Kwanzaa Martin hasn't had NCAA tournament success in a long time. But um, – I'm just saying when that's the bottom of the bin, it's a pretty well-coached league. Well, good coaches that haven't had success where they're at I don't know if you necessarily get to say they're, I mean, they're still good coaches, but I would say the top of the big 12 is more elite and the, the big 10 will get more bids, but the sec is very watchable. I think they are, they are safely like you can make, you can make a case for them probably uh, ahead of, in the, they're more in the discussion with the big 10 and the big 12 for best conference than they are with the ACC or PAC 12 for, for worst power five, I guess, or the big East, if you want to say power six, I think the ACC, when we get to that one, um, I'm not saying don't listen to the ACC preview, but the ACC preview is probably going to be the one that least excites me for when we uh, sit down and do the research for, because I think that that conference is, Kind of weak this year. Um, but thank you once again for listening to the SEC Preview. We are continuing to record these before November 25th. That is two weeks away from college basketball as of today's recording. Um, thank you for listening. Like, rate, review, subscribe for Griffin Peters, Peyton Gallagher, myself, Gabe Schwartz. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Blaze Radio presents... He heat church
2: know that we next yeah. doesn't matter if it's sunday or monday you know that we flex True. you can never make it more obvious you check it for the heat that's cold that's cold, that's cold. <laughs> to the top of the top of this you can never reach uh, these goals hop in the booth and we spin the truth Aye. we inspire the youth and we get to the loop you do what it doesn't we do what it do we turn to the max and they got you on mute oh flow so high so you know Aye. i had a back blazes the ball then we running Aye. like a running back gay broad shot so you know Aye. we having fun with that turn you in the up, so you know i ain't no coming back now we done with that